This is Imani of Modern Mystic Chronicles podcast, inspiring curiosity and magic through storytelling of modern mystic living with our first story for today's episode, written by Courtney McKinney, Can't Take Me Away From Me. My great-grandmother was a dancer. When she and my great-grandfather moved from Ireland to the States, she danced to his fiddle at bars to supplement their meager income as recent immigrants. I learned about her when my father, originally an anonymous sperm donor, told me when we met, when I was 30. When I asked if he had a picture, he said something along the lines of, Regrettably, I never saw a picture, but family lore is that when she danced, she lit up the room. In fact, she was the light of the town. I wasn't supposed to know about my great-grandmother Marie, or my fiddle-playing great-grandfather, or their grandchild, who would go on to create me. The donation industry and related laws don't acknowledge rights for me as a daughter of their lineage. And yet, here I am, a dance-loving woman who can coax even the shyest onlooker to the dance floor. At one of my high school dance performances, my stoic 11th grade history teacher called my dancing magnetic. When I learned about Marie, I knew immediately that what my teacher saw is a part of Marie and me. I'm also an outdoor lover, but I didn't really know that when I was a kid. The family I grew up with lives a solidly indoor-based lifestyle. Apart from feeling that I was different and that I was constantly lured in by the small forest near the creek in my suburban neighborhood, I had no clue that being outside was a key to my physical, psychological, and spiritual health. I was 26 when I moved to Northern California, and it's where I found my truth. The places where I felt most myself, most free, most joyful, and peaceful. They were among the Northern California trees, or beside cold rivers flowing through these forests. The pieces didn't make sense then. That there was a significant spiritual component to the groundedness and belonging I felt upon landing in this region. But it would be revealed to me. It wasn't until the meeting with my biological father where I learned that he, too, left his home state and triangulated the U.S. until landing and digging into Northern California, that a clearer view of my connection to this land came into focus. His sanity, he told me, is connected to the ability to hike in the trees and his regular trips to the mountains, where he goes to clear his head. Neither of us grew up near mountains, but both of us found them before we turned 30. Whatever desire for hills and green landscapes our ancestors carried manifested in both of us, so that we ended up living less than an hour and a half apart, strangers, linked by blood. But the Cairo Bank and the law says we have no enforceable connection. According to those systems, he is not my father, and I have no claim to where I come from. And yet, when we met, it was clear that our ancestors called me. Like the plot of the movie Coco, they found me, guided me, and let me see the lineage I belong to. No industry or so-called country has the authority to stop them from showing me the truth. When I was young, I felt like I belonged to no one. 
Sometimes I still feel that way, even now. Growing up in America can do a number on you, in terms of what you believe the impact of race can be on your soul. It's interesting, isn't it? The idea that race, a human construct based on skin color, can influence your soul? The infinite characteristic of ourselves that is completely separate from, yet connected to, everyone and everything in the universe? Of course, race has nothing to do with the infinite nature of who we really are. But when you grow up in a race-based culture like the United States, it can take a lot of unlearning to find out who you are separate from those labels. Same for gender or class or even political affiliation. Race has been the hardest part for my spirit to shake. I grew up with my black Southern family, learning about and connected to my black Southern ancestors. Even though I felt their presence within resonating musical chords, or in brief moments when I allowed energy to flow freely in my body, I still felt disconnected because of the difference in my skin. That's the pesky thing about the construct of race. It constantly has you looking for a box to fit in. Being lighter than the rest of my family was confusing, especially since I wasn't told that my father was a white sperm donor until I was 16. Unintentional gaslighting of that sort does a number on knowing and intuition, so in that way, I've been fighting back doubt since the day that truth was revealed, a truth my soul already knew. At first I felt guilt about the relief that came with the confirmation that I am half white, I felt that I was somehow betraying my black family and ancestors by being excited to finally know something about myself that I suspected for a long time. I still carry some of the guilt. I guess it's a form of white guilt, that my body may be allowed into spaces where darker bodies aren't, or that I have somehow benefited from the whiteness that's a part of me through strictly transactional means. Fortunately, the majority of the guilt dissipated when I learned about Marie. When I learned about her son, my grandfather, the steady warrior for justice in his white working class Midwestern town. A man willing to fight racist neighbors to stand up for a desegregation, who taught his kids, my father, to do the same. More guilt faded with the relief that my father's lineage does not carry the heaviness of slave ownership. That I only have to contend with that from my maternal line, where one or more of my enslaved female ancestors was forced upon by someone white. Mostly, I felt my strange version of white guilt morph into pride because my people were the dancers, the anti-racist before it was cool, poor immigrants who risked making a life in a new country. The best part is, I felt them dance. I felt both of my lineages dance together like they conspired in my favor this whole time, and they can finally dance in celebration because I now dance with them too. The truth is, I belong to no one but myself. I come from strong lines, I come from hard truths, but at the end of the day, my spirit is new, uniquely my own, and my primary responsibility is to cultivate my soul. That's how I had the strength to believe I had the right to seek out a man who made me anonymously. That is how I can say that the stance of the California Cairo Bank, also shared by the American legal system, that I have no right to know about the paternal part of my lineage is unequivocally illegitimate. That is how I give myself permission to listen to the ancestors who pull me toward them, 
That is how I learned that all this time, Marie was dancing with me. Courtney McKinney is a writer and communications professional based in Northern California. She enjoys singing, dancing, playing outside, and participating in conversations that heal. Ooh, that story gave me goosebumps. Um, it's so inspiring to read about how even with the constructs of our matrix, what can be pushed through through spirit? Because spirit doesn't know the bounds of the matrix or our theory reality. It moves beyond that, which makes it so magical and powerful. So our tarot card pull for today's story is the Hierophant. The Hierophant is our teacher of tradition, of ancestry, of what is sacred. Courtney being able to meet her biological father was her right because she has a right to her lineage that is beyond any confines of the matrix of the system. Her sacred connection to her grandmother, Marie, that will always be hers and is a part of what brought her to a place to be able to claim herself. Our history is important, but it doesn't define us, as she mentioned. But it is a guide for her, like the Hierophant, the teacher of tradition and what is sacred within ourselves. Today's story is sponsored by Mystic Monday's Tarot Deck and can be purchased at mysticmondays.com, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Stay with us as we bring you another story. This is Imani of Modern Mystic Chronicles podcast, inspiring curiosity and magic through storytelling of modern mystic living with our second story for today's episode, written by Ryan Kerr, titled The Dragonfly. Everything was ending. My father attempted suicide and died at hospital. My boyfriend of six years finally severed our intense, tumultuous, on-and-off relationship. My new boyfriend cheated on me up until he took a job in his home state and moved back in with his ex. I turned in my resignation at work after my painfully unaware boss asked if I had lost weight. And after I replied, he added, I'm jealous of your depression. The sun had set and there was no more light, none that I could see, but there was a guiding light that would lead me out of the dark. All I had to do was look. It was a hot and ugly August, the kind where window unit air conditioners break out in a sweat only I barely noticed. I felt like I was underwater, falling further and further into the murky depths where I would eventually meet the bottom and become entangled in weeds that would never let me go. I didn't know what I was going to do. It was hard enough to figure out how to get out of bed in the morning. It was one of those sluggishly unmotivated mornings that I rolled over onto my side and looked out the bedroom window. There on the windowsill, staring back at me, was a tiny green dragonfly. It sat motionless, its transparent wings glistening in the sunlight like treasure. Its head was facing me, and it seemed to be peering into the darkness of the room where I had tried to block out all light with heavy curtains. We stared at each other for a moment until it flew away. I rolled onto my back and was instantly reminded of the tattoo I had received a couple years back. My right hand went to the sleeve of my left arm and pulled it back to reveal my dragonfly tattoo. 
My fingers passed over the wings with delicate fine lines that bled far less than the heart on my sleeve. I may have chosen the dragonfly that was painted into my skin in black ink, but truly, the dragonfly chose me. The dragonfly has always made an entrance in specific moments in my life, and it only felt right to assume it was my totem. I hadn't never heard of anyone having an insect as a spirit guide, animal, totem, or whatever the other title there is, but I didn't care about that. Once one appeared to me in a moment of deep meditation and reflection at my parents' house, where I held out my hand and it rested upon my palm. Close friends and lovers had always told me that they felt they were being watched from time to time after they had met me, describing dragonflies fluttering by or surveying them in the most peculiar of fashions, like some kind of older sibling looking out for my well-being. I made the decision to leave Chicago. At the time, it felt it was the only option. Shortly before I finished packing up my life, I sat down in the darkness of my apartment in front of a single white candle. The bright orange glow of the flame splashed across the half-packed boxes and casted an amber glow, like the light of a torch on the walls of a cave. I called out to my angels, my ancestors, and my guides, and I asked them for help. I didn't even know what kind of help I needed. My heart was heavy and my world was in a million pieces. But there was one thing that I knew I wanted to do before I left. I cupped my hands and began to gather all of the energy I could from around me and impact it into a ball. I whispered messages of love and wished nothing but happiness to the recipients. My exes, the ones who challenged me the most, the ones who taught me the most about the heart. I set the ball free into the air with a toss of my hands like a rice at a wedding. And I hoped for something greater than change. I hoped for transformation. Not for them, but for myself. When I packed up my apartment of six years, leaving a layer of dust and debris behind, I felt like I had been on autopilot. I had decided to move to New Orleans, swapping out the blisteringly cold nine-month winter of Chicago for 11 months of hellish heat and humidity. I couldn't evaluate my choices and I didn't have time to decide if the decision I was making was the one that I should be making. There was no time to sit in quiet contemplation, brooding over the series of hopeless and heartbreaking events that clusterfucked into a single summer. How was I to know what was the right move to make when I couldn't see the surface of the water from the bottom of the lake? All I knew was I couldn't stay. Chicago had become a constant reminder of failed relationships and career underachievement, and my nomadic spirit was beginning to rumble to life like a volcano that had been dormant for far too long. Stillness felt like death. It was that very stillness that had caused me so many problems in my life prior to that summer. Inaction, immobility, unwillingness. Naturally, it was the only option that I could see. Whether or not it was the best option, I would have to deal with later on when the dust had settled. On the 2nd of September in 2016, my mother and stepfather offered to drive down to New Orleans with me and I was happy to have them. Moving has always been one of the hardest things for me to cope with, and ironically, probably one of the things that I have done the most. It has never truly gotten any easier. I've just learned to live with the chaos that accompanies having your life uprooted. A fact I was constantly reminded of as I heard my belongings bounce around in the 15-foot truck behind us. Somewhere between hours 9 and 10, Illinois and Mississippi, 
After the highway had burned itself into our eyes, we pulled off the highway and parked at a rest stop. It was the first rest stop I had ever been to that was completely void of people. There were no vehicles in the parking lot and the picnic benches were empty. But there was an energy that I could feel and hear. I was drawn to the field just off the side of the rest stop. I looked out over the overgrown grass and up into the sapphire sky, speckled with patches of puffy clouds like white ink blots on the blue paper. We weren't alone after all. I stepped off the pavement into the sodden grass and out into the field. Hundreds upon hundreds of dragonflies were buzzing all around me in a frenzy that would put any terminal at LAX to shame. My mouth dropped open as I found myself caught in the middle of their hustle and bustle. I smiled as I looked up into the air to watch them fly. It was right at that moment that I felt the hair on my neck stand up and I heard, for the first time, that I made the right move and I was on the right track. I didn't believe it, but I felt it. A wave of relief trickled down over my body as I gave into the message of my totem. I had to trust it, even if I didn't understand it. Do we always have to understand everything that we do, see, and feel? Does anyone? I wondered to myself as I questioned the reassurance. After I settled in New Orleans, the novelty of what I loved about the city had worn off with the amount of time it took me to find my first cockroach. My perspective equalized, my emotions had recalibrated, and I had found myself in a place I no longer wanted to live permanently. What was I thinking? began to repeat itself over and over in my head. It was only years later that I had finally realized that the journey had a purpose. It was the right move for me at the time. Nothing is permanent, but had I not come here, I would not have developed spiritually in the same way. I would not have been tested in the same way. I would not have written the book that had always wanted to be written. One that would give life to two more, and I would not have been given the lessons that I needed to have in order to prepare me for the next stages of my personal and spiritual journey. Five years have passed, and here I am yet again, looking forward to the next transition, the next stage of transformation, and I know the dragonflies will be there if I look for them. And they were. Recently, I found myself in the backyard trying to decide on my next plan of action when a dragonfly found its way to my hand. It rested for a moment, long enough for me to release the fear of making another choice, and then it left. The dragonflies were right, and they had guided me right to where I needed to be. I would not have made the same choices now that I did back then, but I am a different person, and I have learned many lessons as a result of being where I chose to go. And I have to remember, nothing is permanent, even this stage of my journey. I'm shedding layer by layer, and again, everything is ending to make way for the new. Ryan Kerr is an author, pastry chef, massage therapist, witch, and mystic practitioner. His freelance work on spiritual and metaphysical witchcraft has been published in Witches Magazine. He has lived in San Francisco, Reykjavik, Glasgow, Chicago, and currently lives in New Orleans. Our tarot card pull for today's story is the Two of Wands, which speaks to choice, a fork in the road and a moment where a decision is ready to be made. 
When Ryan's path had served him to a point, it was time to change trajectory in order to grow. And Ryan's energy gives me a sense that he is always up to the challenge. And the dragonfly is a beautiful metaphor that spirit is right there with him. It gave me chills. It was so moving. And there may be pain in his story, but there is no resistance to the open path, asking him to plan action as the two of wands prepares him for the next chapter. Today's story is sponsored by Mystic Monday's Tarot Deck and can be purchased at mysticmondays.com, Amazon, and Barnes and Noble. That's it for today. If you enjoyed our guest story, you can catch us fireside with the author on IG Live at Imani Rachel Quinn on Instagram. And if you feel inspired to share your own mystical story, you can share with us on our website at imaniquinn.com at the submission link under Modern Mystic Chronicles podcast. Big love, Imani.